Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. While the importance of politics over economics has always been a key feature of China's economic system, many observers say that there has been a paradigm shift in how the CCP governs China's economy today. This new model is often described as party-state capitalism. To get a clearer picture of this new form of economic governance that is emerging in China, I'm joined today by Nis Grünberg. He is a senior analyst at Merrick's and the editor and one of the authors of the latest Merrick's paper on China on the CCP's next century. Welcome to the podcast, Nis. Thanks for inviting me. Nis, could you please explain to us the key features of China's evolving party-state capitalism? It's important to remember that party-state capitalism is building on the older concept of, of state capitalism. And I think um, the party-state capitalism concept is by scholars now introduced to kind of show that China is moving towards uh, a different model from the conventional normal garden variety that you have out there uh, that is uh, state capitalism. So it's a move away from pure state uh, intervention or state ownership, for example, which is uh, one of the characteristics of, of state capitalism, for example, in Norway or in, in, in Russia and other countries that you could classify as state capitalist society. So the elements in, in which the Chinese party state capitalism is different uh, is that we have a system where ownership forms and control forms are much more hybrid than in, in other uh, countries. So the Chinese political economic order today is much more complex in the way it organizes private and public ownerships as a binary model uh, that doesn't really hold any longer. So there's a myriad of different arrangements that public actors and private actors have, where they have shared ownership, different types of, of corporations and, and models, partnerships, and in which also the, the ways by which public actors, for example, can control through shareholding, through golden shares, and through other arrangements, what companies are doing. Uh, the other important element that really is uh, rising in China is the attempt to really steer economic development alongside political objectives. So the party is really making a, an effort to develop different mechanisms by which it can steer resources, you know, political resources, but also uh, economic resources and finance in general towards sectors and priority areas which it sees as politically important. Uh, so we have this really concerted, much more concerted and centralized effort to steer economic development in general. Um, industrial policy, for example, is one of the examples here. The third way um, party-state capitalism is different from ordinary state capitalism is that ideology and a, a party-centered ideology is much more important uh, and much more forcefully implemented in economic policymaking than before. There is a, a very concerted effort to create an environment in which party norms and party priorities, party objectives, are the guiding star for economic policymaking more generally, and in which party uh, norms and party rules are codified, not only in the uh, general governance and in, in, in laws, but also in corporate charters. Uh, so you could say that th these three elements are not the only ones, but certainly three very important factors that point to uh, the emergence of a new type of, uh, of economic order, the hybrid ownership and control models, 
much more concentrated effort to steer the economy in general and much more ideology uh, involved in economic policy making. Could you tell us more about the main shifts in economic governance that have taken place recently and the main trends you have been observing? Economic policy has always been uh, a political effort. So there has not been, uh, also in the, in the past in China, not really the same separation of economics and politics the way that many Western societies consider them to be normal. Many of the elements that are more forcefully uh, appearing now uh, are known for a long time. For example, planning, uh, you know, development planning is, is one of the key mechanisms that the, the leadership is using, five-year plans, for example, but also more specialized plans for technology, uh, for uh, greening the economy and so on. So the use of long-term and of, of industry planning, uh, of general development planning is very uh, ingrained in the political culture of the of the party state. On the other hand, you also have uh, a much more sophisticated regulatory regime evolving. So Xi Jinping has really put a lot of effort in making regulation, the regulatory regimes, more sophisticated, uh, updated to current needs. And this is, of course, very important as a factor to uh, organize and to, to govern the economy because it creates these carrot and stick regimes. You know, the, the regulatory regime is pretty important as guidance for for companies, but also for citizens and, and for other economic actors. What we also see in, uh, in the last couple of years is that we have a doubling down on industrial policy and the more effectful use of political guidance for general economic uh, development. So one very, I, I think one very clear uh, trend is that we will see more industrial policy and not less. So the argument that China will eventually uh, converge towards a more liberal economy because it's opening up and development will lead to uh, to a, a population that demand more rights uh, that is that is certainly not uh, in the in the cards at the moment um, but rather we see more efforts to uh, make industrial policy more effective uh, more efficient so the different mechanisms by which uh, the the party state is guiding resources or steering resources towards targeted sectors to priority policies that are outlined in for example five year plans uh, that is something we, we see uh, more of, and I think which is uh, a clear trend that we will see much more of in the coming years. So China is in a way doubling down on its own model that we have seen uh, the last couple of years. Uh, especially the state guidance funds, I think, are, are quite interesting because they uh, are in a way an evolution from more direct payments, for example, or, or subsidies to individual companies, uh, often state-owned companies. Uh, and where we have now uh, a different model evolving that is, I think, supposed to inject some more market discipline into the way that uh, state support is arriving at, you know, the, the companies or the specific sectors that are targeted. Um, so, for example, in the chip sector, in the semiconductor sector, uh, we have calls for funding in the state guidance funds and they they can raise a lot of money and then invest in specific companies or in other guidance funds in, in local governments uh, so th this is uh, a way in which capital that is steered towards sectors is organized more alongside market mechanisms it's more organized uh, in a way that outcomes are more important now uh, and 
uh, I think this is this is also something that we will see much more of in the future. The drive to using more state guidance funds and a, a combination of market forces and political guidance in the way that industrial policy works. What does this all mean for China's economy in a global context? And how should Europe deal with China's party-state capitalist system? Um, I think in general, we have to learn to live with China that is convinced that its model is the right way forward. Um, I think Europe, the world, really needs to learn how to engage and cooperate and compete with China that is insistent on its own model of economic governance, industrial policy, state support. I think China is just getting much more confident that it is on the right path and that its model, the party-state capitalist model, is the right way for China and that it also, as a system, is perhaps better um, equipped for for the very unstable world that we live in. And I think episodes like the COVID pandemic, but also the financial crisis 2008-2009, they are all factors that uh, tell, at least that seems to be what the party leadership thinks, that the party state capitalist system is more stable. It's more, it's more geared towards managing crises, mobilizing resources more effectively, not efficiently, but very effectively towards the, the needs that are Uh, you know, current. And it, that may be crisis, that may be uh, the development of new technology, uh, support of, of ailing sectors, for example. Um, and I think the world just really needs to prepare for a much more confident China. Thank you, Yanis. There's much more to discuss on this topic that we won't get to in this podcast. But if you're interested in reading more about this and from other Merrick's experts, you can find our report on the CCP's next century on our website. My name is Johannes Hellerjohn. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.